This episode is brought to you by Malomo. Malomo offers Shopify brands the tools to turn shipping from a cost center into a profitable marketing channel through branded shipment emails and order tracking pages. This episode is also brought to you by Outer. Outer creates the world's most comfortable, durable, and sustainable furniture made from proprietary fabrics that are both eco-friendly and water, stain, fade, and mold-resistant. This episode is brought to you by Gorgeous. In case you don't already know, Gorgeous is the leading customer support platform built for e-commerce companies. Stay tuned to hear from Alexandra Collis, the Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly, an online fashion powerhouse, to hear how Gorgeous enables Princess Polly to manage all of their customer service channels in one place. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 90 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green. And today I spoke with Carolyn Yashannon, the founder and CEO of Copinico. Copinico is a modern wellness company that offers plant-based collagen drink blends that help support your body's own natural collagen production for lasting hair, skin, and nail benefits, all without the use of animal products. In this episode, Carolyn shares with us our entrepreneurial journey from growing up with parents who owned a spice company to leaving the prestigious Wharton Business School to study liberal arts and history to working for a natural foods company and creating a food blog to finally launching her own brand, Copinico, in February 2020. She talks with us about morning rituals that keep her creative and focused each day, the health challenges she faced from cystic acne and how she launched Capina by selling to smaller boutique shops before approaching bigger retailers like Erwan and Urban Outfitters. If you're interested in trying out some of the amazing Copina Co. products you'll be hearing about in this episode, we actually have a special promo code for you. You can go to their website. It's copinaco.com. That's C-O-P-I-N-A-C-O.com. And use the code STAIRWAY15 to get 15% off your order. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, we launch a new episode every Tuesday morning. So don't forget to click subscribe and leave us an awesome review. Until then, we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Carolyn. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm so excited to hear your story in building Copina Co. Thanks so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on, Lee. I've been a fan of yours for a long time, so it's really exciting. You didn't say that earlier when you were talking. What do you mean? It's 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 exciting to chat with you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and being a fan. I appreciate it. So what's your story? I love your product. Thanks so much for sending it. I'm such a huge fan um, as well. So let's hear your background. Where are you from originally? Uh, From the SF Bay area. I grew up on the peninsula in San Mateo, California. 
for those of you who don't know, it's kind of in between Stanford and San Francisco. So I spent a lot of weekends when I was a kid actually helping my parents' small business. They had a small spice company in the area and doing a lot of, uh, a lot of hiking and biking and road trips around, uh, around that area. And it really taught me to love nature. Um, I went to high school in San Francisco and totally did not appreciate it at the time, how gorgeous it is. I remember I was on the cross country team. Were you, were you good? I was on cross country team too, except I was way in the back. Like I was not very fast. Yeah, no, no, no. You, you and I would have been running together. It was, uh, it was more, <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't make the volleyball team freshman year. So I went on cross country because I really wanted to do a sport and I really wanted to row. Right. It's so like I who said, can't run, you know, no, cross country is no. like, I yeah. told, I remember I told my grandma that I was on the cross country team and she just goes, Oh, Vinicoms are not built for that. <laughs> what? Really? <laughs> <laughs> very, very big bones, but, um, but I, I love, I don't know. I loved it. It was a great way to stay in condition, but it was so funny because I ran in Golden Gate Park every day, which is one of the most beautiful places ever. And, um, you know, it's, I, I was back in San Francisco recently and it's, it's funny because that park is full of so many fun memories. Like my French teacher in high school was on the naming committee for the bison in Golden Gate Park. Actually, they are named after Shakespearean kings. If anyone wants to know. Well, wait a minute. You even, you studied French. Hey, oui. Hey, oui. Yes. Oui. Yes. Je tout de français. I studied French too for many years, especially in high school as well. Oh, yeah. it's been so long. I'm going to screw up if I keep trying right now. I'm like going to dig myself a hole. Well, you'll love this then. The name Copina Co. So Copina comes from the French word Copine for French because we wanted to, I wanted to create a friendly wellness company. Oh, which is friend. Copine means friend in French. Copine means friend in French. I didn't even catch that. I can't believe I didn't even see that because the A, that was a tricky yep. one. You yep. pulled a tricky one. I know. I know. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So did, did French, did cross country. I, I, I rode crew, which eventually took me to college. So I actually got recruited to row D1 crew at University of Pennsylvania. Yeah. I wanted to row. I wanted to go to business school undergrad. Um, so I got into the Wharton school there and I was rowing. I did Wharton. And it's funny how life, life changes. I ended up getting um, a pretty bad rowing injury. I had um, like a stress fracture in my low back um, from overuse. And, and two, there are a lot of small muscles in your, in your body that can, if you're overusing one area, if you aren't training alternate parts of your body, just offset that, it, it can really create a lot of stress in your system. Reminds me of getting shin splints while running cross country. You know, it's like just comes with the territory. You're like, really? This is oh, wow. Oh, I know. Yeah. So I ended up leaving the rowing team. Um, just could not could not get over my injury, which was unfortunate because it was the Schuylkill River, such a beautiful place to row, and there's so much cool history there. Um, and then I did the undergrad business school for a few years, and I was very much Miss Wharton. I was the head of the, I was the head of marketing for Wharton women on campus. I thought that I was going to Wow. Look at you. I know. I thought that I was going to do investment banking, consulting, all these things, because that's kind of what they feed you, right? Like your definition of business when you're 18, 19 years old, 
at least at the time, this was, you know, 2009, 2010, when I was a freshman, is very much focused on this corporate banking, finance, consulting, you know, New York kind of thing. And I thought I wanted that, but realized over time that that really wasn't me. And kind of this first step. And, you know, I, I like to be someone who chooses the road, goes on the road, not taken, you know? But when did you do that, actually? Just going back a little bit, because I'm wondering at what point, like maybe can tell us about a story when you were younger, when you did that. Like what made you that type of person or what were examples of you taking roads less traveled when you were younger? Well, I can tell you, I, my mom loves telling this story. When I was, a, when I was a baby, I have a sister who's three years older than me and she could talk before I could, right? She could really express herself and I could not handle that. So my mom tells me that I refused to sit in the high chair. She had to stack phone books on a chair for me and I would sit up there and something would happen. I could clearly understand what was being said, but I wasn't able to express myself. And so I would just shake, like put my head, my hands in a fist and just shake and like wait to speak. Cause I really, I wanted to get my ideas out there. As a kid, I always enjoyed, I tried to do all these, all different things. I wanted to be an Egyptologist for a while. I enjoyed art. I did a lot of oil painting as a kid. I wanted to be a fashion designer at some point. I I used to, I used to love going to the library and just reading about far off places. I, I wanted to have lots of adventure in my life. All of that kind of made me be someone who likes to ask a lot of questions. So that kind of background, like someone who, you know, I'm someone who knows who they are. I know what I want. I know when things are right for me and when they're not. And it was funny because you know, so much of your show, for example, is about overcoming failures or having moments of adversity. And for me, I was not jiving with undergrad business school, which is funny because I'm a CEO now. I've started my own company. I've been interviewed by the Wharton podcast. I, they, they have me on, you know, they have me talk to undergrads, even though I didn't really like it there. So you know, I was very caught up in the fact that like the name of it, you know, oh, it's this big undergrad business school, you know, I should really thrive here. I should really love it. But it, and it's so great for other people and they have such amazing professors and amazing curriculum. But for me, it just wasn't a fit. I didn't like the very corporate aspect of it. And I was also really struggling to connect with some of the coursework, you know, now accounting excites me. Back then, I it was like hitting a brick against my, you know, all the time. It was just not connecting. And I remember um, one summer after my freshman after my freshman year, I chose to take some extra classes. Um, so I did several finance courses, and then I was also working as a student consultant, helping local small businesses write business plans. There's a small business development center at Wharton. I loved that. I love that hands-on aspect, but these classes were not connecting. And I've always been someone who at that point, up until that point, really, really took so much pride in my achievements and was so much, so much of my identity is, especially as a young athlete was about achievement. And I wasn't doing well in these classes. And I remember I hit a wall where I was, I was studying as much as I could. I was going to all the office hours. I was doing everything, but it just was not connecting and I just genuinely did not like it. And I had to figure out, okay, do I keep, do I keep 
do I keep beating myself up about something that I don't necessarily know I want? Or do I try to find a different path? And I ended up leaving the undergrad business school. I went to the college. I started studying liberal arts. It was a really scary thing. Try telling your parents that you're going to leave the undergrad business school and go to a history major. Well, at least you stayed in college. I had to tell my parents I was out. So I dropped out and they did not like to hear that. (laughs) Slightly different conversation. (laughs) You know what though? but, But it's funny because I feel that I feel that schools you know, it's a business, right? So they're always selling something. And what they sell is stability. What they sell is you will be able to get some kind of job that will get you some kind of salary out of the end of this program and just stick through and you will have some kind of dependable income. You just, you just, they sell that dependency. They sell that, but but that's what they sell. But what I'm saying is that's not always the case. And it's not always the case too, that you'll end up, if you train yourself to not ask questions and not seek different answers, not do different things. You know, some of the smartest people, the most successful business people I know who came out of Wharton and are some of my best friends, they didn't double down on their finance classes. They did philosophy courses. They did computer science. They, they did, uh, they did history and poli-sci. They, they expanded their minds in different ways and learned to ask questions. People aren't always training you to ask. And so for me, that was a real, that was a real moment when I started thinking for myself about what, what I wanted and chasing things in a different way. And so what did you end up studying and and why? Like, and then where'd you go from there? Yeah, I ended up studying history. So I love, I, I love history, but I think that what liberal arts do is fundamentally teach you to ask questions. I've always been someone who's very, um, I, I love investigating things. I've always been very inquisitive, but I loved, I loved the idea that history, history, some is history is not static, is always changing. And it depends. People think that it's a set in stone thing, but it really depends on someone's perspective. And there are there are so many different pictures, you know, millions of pictures of the same moment that can come together and form a true representation of what actually happened. And I actually started working in uh, government. I did a few internships in Washington, D.C., in the Senate and the House of Representatives. And I thought I wanted to go uh, go do um, stuff in politics. And then I realized, oh, gosh, I really do not want to do that. That's really not me. And so I actually ended up starting from the ground up, working in a natural food company that I connected with. Um, I'd known the people for a while. I what people like the people that work there or owners or how did you get connected? Both, both. So I, I they were local to the area, and I they needed help, so they were actually moving their facility, and I wanted to get into sales and marketing, but I also really wanted to understand how to create a product from the ground up, and they were going to create a whole new a whole new brand, a whole new product line. And so I actually started helping them doing this, but I spent my first year and a half working in the, uh, working in a factory. So I actually did food safety, purchasing product development for about a year and a half, which was, I I think for, for anyone who's doing, um, who's young and looking to get a real sense of what it means to fully manage a brand without being a CEO, um, getting into anything that has 
P&L implications, anything that has to do with product costs, getting into operations and really being able to understand things in a holistic way is such a, is such a valuable thing, you know? And I think that that experience really helped prepare me for what I do now. That, that experience gave me skills that fundamentally help shape Copinico um, and give me the skills to launch my own company. I think had I just gone from undergrad and gone into being a social media manager or, or just gone into a more siphoned role at maybe a larger organization that would have given me one view, but maybe wouldn't have given me a holistic perspective on things. So I really think that for younger people getting out of college, finding a place that's going to develop you and give you broad experience and a broad look at different areas is really important. Yeah, I definitely agree. That's a unique pers- um, you know, opportunity too, because I think that a lot of the roles open for college grads are more specific, like a social media manager, right? <laughs> and there's still lots to learn, I think, in that role. Um, but I definitely see what you're saying, where it's more, it sounds like this was more of a startup environment where you could come in and have a lot of visibility into different aspects of the business. Yeah. And I think too, that, you know, it's funny. I think a lot of the advertised roles for college students, like when you look at stuff, who are the people coming to campuses? They're huge companies. They're the ones with um, whole HR departments. These roles do exist for people, but they may not be advertised in on LinkedIn or in your local, you know, campus uh, jobs board. I know so many people who joined startups uh, <laughs> who got their job through Twitter, actually through crazy connections. My younger sister is 23 and she, um, she's an associate producer for an NFL team. And she actually, uh, she actually got her job off Twitter too. What? That's crazy. Mm -hmm. So how, like someone's tweeting about a job opportunity and then like they tweet back, like, how does that work? Basically staying in touch with people. I don't really exactly know. I have never personally gotten my own job off Twitter, but people do a lot of different things. Like one of the more creative ways that I've heard about people getting a job is one of my friends, Lucy, really wanted to work at Warby Parker when it was just a very, very small startup. This is very shortly after um, they had left Wharton MBA. And she actually made a whole website for herself. Um, She made product pitch videos about Warby Parker. She posted them online. She created a whole ad campaign around them. And this is even before she submitted a resume. And so there are a lot of different things that you can do to identify companies um, and also set yourself apart in in new ways. Um, So for me, I really want, when I wanted to get in more into sales and marketing, I created a blog. For myself. So I actually started Copinaco as a wellness blog. It, the what URL it of it, I started it. Oh my gosh. Well, I'll tell you the URL of it was pretty bad. Like the first name of it was terrible. It used to be called Carolyn's Pantry. Um, That's not that bad. I mean, I was expecting so much worse. <laughs> you know, it, just, it doesn't really ring off the tongue. I gotta say, I love the name Copinaco, Carolyn's Pantry, not terrible, but, uh, but not the best. Like Uh, Not my favorite. So I changed it, but I started it in 2016 when I was starting to go through some health challenges that I can definitely talk about. Um, But I also wanted to, I figured, Hey, you know, I really want to, like, I've learned so much. 
during production, during purchasing, I really want to put my best foot forward and learn more about marketing. I was seeing the, you know, this is a time when no one was doing blogs that much, but I was certainly seeing how that was becoming the future of marketing and the future of communications. I didn't know much about it and I've always been a hands-on learner. So I decided to start it. Um, and it felt like kind of a silly thing. Um, most of my friends did not have blogs, social media backgrounds, anything like that. You know, my friends did marketing in college, uh, more so approached learning about marketing from big, big firms. So it ended up being probably my greatest educator, just sitting here, creating my own website, building traffic, being able to sell ads. Um, I actually financed my business off selling ads and doing paid partnerships with Cokin and Co., was a huge thing that gave also gave me skills to help start my company. But then it also gave me a real outlet to talk about some things that mattered to me, like plant-based eating, uh, like holistic nutrition and herbalism, acne, acne and struggles as well, uh, became a real thing that I would talk about on my blog. And all of that ended up really feeding into Copina Co. You also talked uh, another story about turning lemons into lemonade, um, was very much centered around my acne. So I, I had a family who was always very focused on health and nutrition, but for some reason, you know, acne also runs in our family. And I started getting it when I turned about 10 years old. And when I went to the dermatologist, they gave me what I now realize is unfortunately pretty commonly prescribed medication, at least at the time. I hope it's not now, which was oral antibiotics. I was on oral antibiotics for years in my early teens. I was on spironolactone. I went on Accutane twice in college. I did all of these things very much focused on just making my skin clear and fitting in and not really caring about what it would do to my internal health. That was a secondary focus, unfortunately. And so I would always go through periods where some of these things would help, but then my acne would come back. And that was that was something that started around the time I was in middle school, slowly would go through peaks and troughs. And then I thought um, was completely healed when I was in early college. So when I'm starting Copinico, this is around, you know, I was around 25, 27. That's also around the time when I started to get really severe cystic scarring acne. It's something that is really common among women. People don't talk about it as much, but it's it's actually extremely common. There's there tends to be a change in our hormones around that time that can lead to that can lead to pretty aggressive adult acne. And it's embarrassing, right? Like we always associate acne as something with teens. Um, and so adult acne was kind of something that people like to hide. They love to cover it up with makeup and not necessarily talk about it. And I was really fed up with my dermatologist telling me that there was no connection between my skin health and gut health. Um, and gut health. I was really fed up with taking all of these medications and I thought there has to be a better way. Um, so I started exploring Ayurveda and herbalism, and that started me down a path that of healing that eventually inspired Copinico. Interesting. So I guess the health challenges that you were kind of referring to before are really kind of centered around this acne that you had and you struggled with for many, many years and were given so much medicine. It sounds like that was horrible. And then what kind of was the 
aha moment of realizing that there is a connection between skin health and gut health? Like, how did you learn about that? And when did you start seeing results and from what? I had a really terrible digestion at the time too. And all of these things sort of spirals. Uh, I would get bloated all the time. I would have difficulty passing food through my system. I would have, I would, I would feel uncomfortable basically all of the time. Like inflammation type of feelings and like almost like you're allergic. Mm -hmm. I would have a lot of puffiness in my face. I would just feel, feel, feel uncomfortable and feel like I had to wear baggy clothes all the time, even though I did not need to almost after every meal. And I didn't understand how this was connected with my skin. A lot of people are awakening to this fact that it's a real spiral that people don't realize. Stress, digestive health, skin health, all of these things are linked. Yeah, we don't talk about these things. Mind and body are inextricably linked. Yeah, we don't talk about these things enough. When So you asked me about more of a specific aha moment for realizing that this was something that I could treat. Um, I was actually reading a book on Ayurveda by the founder of Pradima Skincare. And it was the first time that I heard anyone talking about skin health as a reflection of your internal imbalances or balances. And it was the first time that I heard someone talking about the fact that the true purpose of beauty should be a reflection of health. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I've been the consumer of the beauty industry and wellness industry for years that has talked about quick fixes, that has talked about covering up or changing or fixing or doing something new with yourself, but is not focused on you being your happiest, healthiest, most confident self. And that was a realization in me. And that changed something in me where I realized that I had to change how I looked at my own health, how I looked at beauty. It wasn't about just getting clear skin. It was about chasing optimal health for me. So that was when I was inspired to start working with doctors that specialized in herbal and internal medicine, who it was kind of hard to find. I found them through Google, a lot of Googling, a lot of interviewing people in the SF Bay Area, but I connected with an awesome one, um, Peninsula Integrative in the SF Bay Area. I love Dr. McCarter. She started putting me on things like cabarillic acid, grapeseed extract, to go to cola, different acid, plant acids and herbs that were very much targeted at improving my skin texture, but also addressing my, some of my gut health issues. And healing through plants can take a long time. It's not a quick fix. Yeah. Did you also have to change diet in any way or like other lifestyle changes? Like what else did you have to do? It was a funny thing because my diet was actually very clean. I was vegan and gluten-free for four years. I eat mostly plant-based now. I will go out and I'll have, you know, I'll have a nice whatever dinner every once in a while, but that's that's why I feel good when I eat plant-based and it's wonderful for the environment and my body. But so no, my diet was actually great. A lot of what was causing these issues was candida in my gut and um, my management of my stress and not realizing how linked all these things were. So we started doing things like, I, I started doing things like meditating in the morning, switching out my coffee for matcha, 
uh, which really does a mantra contains L-theanine, which can help regulate stress levels and give you more regulated energy. I started incorporating some of these plant acids and plant botanicals into my daily life. I started taking ashwagandha to help manage stress in addition to my meditation. And slowly over time, my skin got better, but really my health got better. I started feeling better. I started seeing seeing myself in a different way as someone who had more respect for their body and more respect for the power of health and the power of plants. And that experience of knowing that there are sustainable plant-based alternatives out there that can have tremendous impact in our internal health and the experience of realizing how much we have to learn as a society about some of these ingredients made me really want to do something to make this experience an inspiration for a business. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Did you know that brands like Magic Spoon, Mudwater, and Caraway get an average of 20 times the return on their investment when using Malomo? Customers track their orders four to five times before it even gets to their door. And instead of sending them to the carrier's tracking page, Malomo built a tool to help brands optimize post-purchase marketing. Use order status emails and tracking pages to spur engagement and drive additional purchases by showing new products, sales, subscription options, and other engaging content simply by being proactive in managing delivery communications. Get 30% off your first three months with Malomo today by going to gomalomo.com slash stairway to CEO. While most people living in colder climates are getting ready to bring their outdoor furniture indoors to protect it during the winter months, customers of the popular brand Outer don't have to lift a finger. After all, outdoor furniture should stay outdoors, right? Made from durable materials like all-weather wicker that withstands temperatures down to negative 220 degrees with a marine-grade frame and legs, Outer ensures your outdoor sofa will stay good as new until spring and for many years to come. So if you're preparing to bundle up this winter, go get some marshmallows to roast over the fire pit and enjoy some cozy time outdoors with Outer. You can get $200 off on furniture purchases by using the code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com. That's $200 off amazing furniture using the code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com. I am Alexandria Collis, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. I'm focused on our strategy and innovation in the CX department here at Princess Polly. I have a quote and I always tell our CX leaders that customer experience is the heart of an organization and we pump the blood and deliver the oxygen to the vital organs in the business to help them thrive and grow stronger. The gorgeous platform allows our agents a seamless place to just do it all. We are really there for the customer every step of the way if they want. Our customers expect quality and efficiency where they are. So the real question is, how do you get quality and efficiency across every single platform? And then once you have it, how do you maintain it? And I believe that with the Gorgeous platform, we can do that. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, go to gorgeous.com and mention podcast for two months free. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. 
So how did you go from realizing, oh my gosh, okay, there's something here with this plant-based stuff and I'm feeling better. How did you switch from that to, I'm going to focus on building a brand around plant-based collagen specifically? Like, like that's very specific, right? Why not supplements? Why not? There's so many other things that you can do that it's such a huge space, the wellness market. So what made you choose this specific product? I think it's really helpful to be really specific when you're starting a company. I think it's helpful to have a laser focus on something. And I've always been focused on sustainability. You know, I I had this blog and I was having, even though I was vegan, people would send me all of these collagen supplements all the time. And I'd try them uh, to see how they were. They did not make me feel good. I certainly saw what was in them. I saw how many people were eating them. And these are products that are made with cowhides, fish skins, or eggshells mostly. A lot of the bovine products are coming from Brazil. Uh, a lot of forest land is being cleared to make room for um, for the raising of livestock for a lot of these products. So I was really interested in certainly finding sustainable solutions to that. That inspired conversations with my doctor about if there were even plant alternatives that would do anything, right? That could do anything to mirror that. And she answered with a very strong affirmative. I started thinking about this more, and this is like a many months long process, like thinking about, okay, do I want to do this? Do I want to do something else? I was experimenting with a lot of different things. I was experimenting with doing like detox drinks, uh, bloating drinks, a lot of these different things. A lot of them did not taste very good. Um, (laughs) gotta be honest, but I eventually figured out that I wanted to create a plant-based collagen alternative and started connecting with different herbalists that specialize in product formulation to start working with them on sourcing and dosing uh, plant botanical ingredients and really helping me figure out which ingredients would go but would interact best together as well because there are many 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 <laughs> ingredients that can do similar things but thinking about interactions of things is extremely important So it was many months of product development, kind of trying things, working with herbalists, figuring out what would taste good, coming up with blends, trying them in my kitchen, going back, iterating with some of these professionals, uh, and also my own opinions on what the products really could and should be that really helped spark Copinico. Awesome. And I love, I thanks again for sending them over. They're really good. I've almost done the original one. I put it in everything because it kind of tastes just like can go with everything and anything. Um, but I've got three other flavors here. I've got the Cacao Calm, the chocolate one, which my mother-in-law's already dug into. She's literally like a chocolate addict. I don't know how she eats so much chocolate. She's from Germany, but she loves this. It's really good. And then the matcha one is amazing. And so is the vanilla. Um, I'm, I have my coffee every morning and these are like the best little kind of creamers to have in, in a coffee or uh, I put them in my smoothie. I have like a protein shake every day because I'm also plant-based. So I like to have boost up that protein level. Oh, I didn't know you were plant-based. Yeah. Yep. Plant-based. But yeah. Okay. So what you're talking about right now, like using it in your daily routine and you're like, oh, it tastes good and it's easy to use. Those are the two things that my experience in product formulation and my experience marketing products really taught me was important. And also my experience as someone who loves food and blogged about food for many years taught me. But also just like as a plant-based person, it's really hard to find vegan collagen. 
Like yeah. there's really yeah. no other, there's not, no, there's not many options. Well, and you know? ones that work. <laughs> That's right. the thing. Yeah. Right. Or, but like you said, are sustainable, better for the environment. And they're just, they're plant-based. Um, you know, when you hear the word collagen, you definitely don't think of plants unless you don't really know what collagen is <laughs> made from. No. Well, and, and true. So this is something that's really important. So there's no such thing as like vegan people are all, all the time asking, okay, so what's vegan collagen or like, what are your vegan collagen sources? And there's no such thing as vegan collagen. Collagen is a finished protein. It's something that our bodies make that animals can make as well. And what our products do instead of like typical collagen peptides where you're invest you're ingesting a finished protein and it goes into your bloodstream and your body theoretically absorbs it that way. Our products basically use plant botanicals that are high in certain vitamins and amino acids that help your body make more of its own collagen. So it's about supporting your body's own natural collagen production. The Cacao Calm is probably my favorite one, even though I use a vanilla like in my, you know, in my lattes just about every day, um, just because it also contains the ashwagandha in there. Like it tastes absolutely amazing, like a superfood hot cocoa, but ashwagandha is so powerful. So it's something I have actually a few times a day. Um, each dose has about 245 milligrams of KSM 66 ashwagandha, which is the highest researched ashwagandha extract out there, but this helps address stress levels, which have you ever been stressed out and you noticed you had drier skin, you had more brittle hair, or you were losing hair. I don't know if I've made those connections, but I definitely have been stressed out. <laughs> well, stress, stress, it, it, it all, it all feeds into each other. So stress can also lead to, um, digestive health issues, but stress is actually, one, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but stress, lack of sleep, all yeah. of these things are actually things that very greatly impact collagen loss and collagen degradation. And so it's really important to address overall well-being and address collagen loss and support collagen production from all angles. And so question, because I saw some on the, I think it was like maybe on the Instagram or on the blog, there's all these really cool recipes and it's really inspiring because it's like, oh, you can have green cookies, like matcha cookies. Those look so good, by the way. So I'm like, trying oh, thank to figure you. Out how I'm going to make those. And then there's also like the chocolate banana bread. And there's, it's like really expand your mind as to how it, like you can put these things in anything, you know, but, but my question is, does it, if you're doing baked goods specifically, are you baking out the good stuff? No, 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 you're not. You're not. So these are, these are extracts. Um, a lot of the most potent ingredients have plant extracts in them. Um, but also, you know, the typical, you're not baking them out. We've asked the herbalists that we work with on these and also our suppliers. And this is why too, they're meant to be prepared as hot drinks. It tastes really good that way. It's a great question, but no, you're not doing it. We don't encourage microwaving stuff though. If you do put stuff in a microwave, it does just zap the nutrients pretty much out of anything you put in there. Even if you put like, like I really try avoid, uh, try to avoid microwaving my foods or any of my beverages. But if I have like boiling hot tea and I put it in, it's not going to be like melting away anything good. Okay. that And I like that because I actually have found like some other kind of these like you know, enhanced creamers type of plant-based things that you put into your coffees. Cause I always love exploring what, what can I put in my coffee this morning? That's going to make it taste better and be better for me. But a lot of them don't really, they're not specific about being able to put it into a warm drink. It's like add to water, add to something. And you're like, what can, can well, 
What about the hot stuff? Yeah. Uh, you, you can, you can put it in colder water. We just feel that it blends better. Um, cause we don't use any emulsifiers or blending agents in the products, uh, which is really important, right? So they naturally clump a bit more. There are just very, very clean ingredients in there. So we actually just like telling people to use hot water with them. You mentioned boiling water. The one thing I'll tell you, if you're a matcha fan, um, you can totally do boiling water in it. Like it's it's fine. But I, the, the best way to have matcha is with water that's about 175 degrees. Our matcha is mixed with other things like the plant-based collagen boosts, as well as organic coconut milk, rice milk, and rice hull. But the matcha in there is a bit delicate because matcha is a whole leaf green tea and it's ground up. It's not like you're steeping it. So to have the leaf be most protected, you want to have it about 175 degrees when you're doing it. This is fueled by the two cups of matcha that I, the matcha blend that I had today. So <laughs> matcha fueled conversation here. Definitely a matcha fueled conversation. <laughs> and I love that you have this little whisk. I saw on your website, you guys will have this cute little whisk, which I'm like, that's pretty, you know, smart to add because, because otherwise I'm using the little like, you know, manual whisk, but yours is cute. Great packaging. Love the branding. Um, now I know the, the name comes from the French word copine. When did you launch and what has it been like running the business? What are some of the biggest challenges that you've been facing? Mm -hmm. So, well, one of the biggest challenges has definitely been challenges and opportunities has been COVID. So I launched February 9th, 2020, several weeks before the whole world shut down. And my initial launch strategy, because I've bootstrapped the brand completely, have taken no outside funding, which is something I'm very passionate about. Um, I may do it in the future, um, but for now, I uh, have grown the brand completely from the ground up. Nice. That means you're what? hundred percent shareholder. Yes, it does. You own it all yourself. That's awesome. Yes. But partly for that reason, because I wasn't coming in having raised several million dollars. I really wanted to, I've always focused on growing Copinico organically, but very much community centered. So I wanted to focus on being super, super present in certain areas, not trying to be everywhere. I wanted to be where my community was. And I have, as someone who's always worked with and loved small businesses, I also recognize them in the wellness world as tastemakers. So part of my initial launch strategy was very much small business centered. I wanted to create a network of small businesses, boutiques, spas, co-ops, you know, herbalists, you name it, primarily LA, New York, San Francisco areas, like focus on those, win at those and sell to these shops and then build networks from there, really use the wholesale channel to bolster online growth. But then everything shut down and my plans on being a direct wholesale business uh, shut down too. So I had to I had to pivot right away to being a 100% DDC company for the first five months of my business, which was definitely challenging. I mean, I had products, like I have a co-packer, I, but I, I got through it. I, at that time, handled all my own social media. Um, so really having that hand on the pulse really, helped from the beginning. And we've always had amazing customers. I had my own platform too. So I was able to leverage my personal Instagram and really help grow the business from there. I have amazing friends that did a lot to help support the company too, which definitely helped us, but we didn't get into the first big accounts that, um, 
got into were Urban Outfitters and Erwan, and I got into those in July. So that was, you know, that was a good five months. That's pretty quick. I, it seemed quick. I'm a perfectionist girl. So for me, never quick enough, but, um, but, uh, you know, I'm sure you're was, learning lots of patience as a founder. <laughs> you know, you it's talk like about, dose you talk of about every day. <laughs> yeah. You know, you talk about, um, like challenges of running a business. One thing for me, like, and this is something where grounding myself in my morning routines really helps me and my morning and evening routines and just kind of, just kind of a set routine as well really grounds me. You know, you and I talked about like, I'm a bit sick right now, so I'm not as doing this as much, but ordinarily, you know, the thing with the business is that, especially if you are the founder, there's always something to do. And it's really important to set aside absolute sacred time for yourself. This is with anything. I don't care if you're a business owner you're an intern, you're, you're whatever. It's, it's so important to set aside sacred time for yourself. What really helps give me energy to think creatively, um, because I've realized in running my business that doing is not the same thing as getting things done. When I feel myself going on a hamster wheel and thinking that say answering emails is the equivalent of getting things done, I step out and I go on a walk. I, so I do a few things that have really impacted my business, um, my creativity and my own personal well-being, just astronomically. One thing for me is I wake up pretty early. So I wake up about six. I always have my matcha, the matcha blend in the morning, my favorite matcha, but I do some meditation and journaling in the morning. Um, there's an amazing book called the artist's way, uh, and also another awesome book, the Daily Stoic. If you're looking for prompts or just need some, just need some inspiration for this. But essentially, this is something that the Artist's Way book talks about: is the importance of just putting down words. They call it the morning pages. So I try to fill up one or two pages of a journal every single day, and I started out really small. It was just a paragraph for a while, prompted by the Daily Stoic. And for me, it can it can be written about anything. I like very much centering them on things that I'm thinking about, um, people in the past, things in the future, write notes to myself. If I need encouragement, I'll write notes to someone else. If I'm thinking about how I, I want to more positively impact my relationship with them, um, I'll think about lots of different things, but it's, it's a really helpful tool for just getting that out. And then I'll do just a 10 minute headspace meditation. I always go walk my dog with my husband in the mornings and then, I always make sure to get some kind of movement during the day. Like I'll try to go on a walk. Um, I, I always do. Sometimes it's just 10 minutes, but that sunshine and that vitamin D is so good. And then I always make sure to move at night. And then I started reading before bed because I work pretty late. And for me going to bed with my head spinning. So does this mean that you like traded in Netflix and chill? For some reading. I don't watch. No, I mean, you have to, yeah, it does. Um, although I got to say I was on a, I was on a plane recently and Emily in Paris is definitely something that I would love to binge on all the time. Um, but yeah, like you can't do everything. Right. So I'm not someone who has, who has ever watched the bachelor. Like I don't say, I don't sit here and watch a ton of TV. I, I don't like, I really try to avoid mindless scrolling on my phone though. I'm to do that too often. I don't see my friends 
as often as I probably could because I'm really focused on, you know, I'm focused on my family and my business at this time. And I think that setting very, very clear priorities is extremely important. Yeah. Well, we are what we do repeatedly. It's part of the daily stoic, I guess, but there's a book I think by um, this big investor called we are what we do. And so it's kind of, it's interesting that you're kind of putting this and these habits into place where you're creating, you know, the life that you want through really having these rituals and routines that keep your mind and body and everything in optimal shape and in the right place, right? Instead of kind of getting distracted. Well, because think about this. I really think that there are so many parallels because I'm so passionate about my work, but there are so many parallels between our work and our lives. So I'll use this one example. Like, And this is this is just about the principle of this is and on what you were just talking about is that we can't just go spinning the wheel. If we want to lead a different life and we want to do different things, we want to do different things for the world, we have to sit back and we have to think critically about certain things and get ourselves out of our routines. So one thing that's been amazing for me this year is focusing the first two hours of my day on the hardest thing. I do not check my email first thing in the morning. I do the big project. I do the thing I don't want to do. I do the hardest thing. And that's how I keep getting stuff done. Because what I realized is that if we just, if I just sit here and go through rote things like answering email, that's not actually moving the needle for my business. That's not actually moving the needle for things that I want to do or things that I need to have happen. So that's been just absolutely essential for me. But then that really extends to my personal life because, and my spiritual life, because if I'm, if I don't sit here and do what I need, in order to think critically, which is pretty much forced creative time, uh, then I'm just going through the routines. And for me, things get so busy that life can become a blur. And I don't want that. I'm So having a set time, honestly, even if it's five, 10 minutes where you're sitting there saying, what are the goals that I have for today? And then at the end of the day saying, how'd I do? And you were, you know, you rinse and repeat that's pretty powerful. Do you have kids? I don't yet. No. <laughs> I'm like, cause when you have them or if you do, yeah, it's tougher. It's even tougher to find this. I have an eight month old right now. And I'm thinking I'm woken up by him at five in the morning, you know, crying, needing to get changed fed. And I'm like, Oh, those morning pages would be so fun to do. <laughs> like, when can I fit those in? Right? No, but you're right. It's, it's important to just try to find and carve out time. But, um, Yes, I think it's tough either way. Uh, the the perfect the perfect wellness woman who no matter what does her journaling. Like I would love to meet her. I've never met someone like that, right? Like I don't do I don't do this every single day. I have a cold. I'm sick. I have been sleeping a lot. I have been hanging out in my sweatpants the last few days. I'm feeling better, so I did my morning pages this morning, but I didn't do them the last five days. I'm like that's okay, right? There you go. That's actually, I think, important to to say, right? Because I think a lot of people listening are like, wow, gosh, she's got it all together. Every day she does these morning pages and then she meditates and, oh man, you know, how can I ever be like that? You know, with life throwing me curveballs all the time. You know what it was though? There was something, there was a period earlier this year where 
I, without getting too much into it, like I, I was going through a hard time personally and I was going through a hard time in work kind of at the same time. And there were a few health things in my family and I felt very overwhelmed and I stopped doing my meditation. I stopped waking up early. I stopped doing all these things because I felt like I didn't have time for them. But what I realized is that I stopped doing these things at the time that I needed them the most. And I felt my spiritual life suffer. I found just my head cloudier. And when I started picking these things up, you know, yes, it's an investment in your time, but even if you do it for five minutes, right? Like one thing I love about the Daily Stoic Journal, you just open it up and you can write two sentences down. I don't care. But even just taking that moment to sit here and think about something that's not just executing the next thing in front of you is so pivotal. But I, I think that, I think that, the times in our life when we are busiest or are struggling are actually the times that we need to invest in this stuff the most. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. What are some things that you've learned the hard way? And with that, actually, I want to ask you, because I know that you work on your company nights and weekends, which I think is so impressive. I think it's really hard to manage two things at once. Like, that's a really tough thing because your mind is in like two different places basically all the time, <laughs> you know? And there's some people that say like, oh, if you're not hundred percent focused, then how are you really going to move the needle in that one piece? You know, it's, I think a lot of people have a belief that it's hard to do two things at once, essentially like split your time that way. So I'm curious, I guess, if is the end goal to be full-time on the brand? And if so, what does that look like? And what's the, the marker for that move and that transition? I think that's something that I, that I'm always thinking about and I'm always, um, I, I think is really interesting. I think that life is so dynamic and that I really love leading an interesting life. I really love the work that I do. I have great aspirations for the work that I do. Um, it excites me both Copinico and what I'm doing, what I'm doing with my other work. And I think that I try not to put set labels on myself or set notions on myself of what things should be. And so I really try to keep an open mind on things. What I, what I do focus, what I think is healthier is focusing on my time. So for example, I'm someone who, I'm someone who loves uh, getting a lot of stuff done certainly, but I try to think about how I can free up my time and leverage my time absolutely as much as possible. And I have an amazing team. Um, we are 100% remote, um, small but mighty. But you know, thinking about future hiring, thinking about how I can automate things absolutely as much as possible, both for myself and my team. Um, working with great partners like my th- my third party logistics partner, my co-packer. All of these things really do take out a lot of the rote things in my day. I don't try to do everything myself because I can't. And so having that kind of focus has, has really helped me. And so trans, do you plan on being full-time one day? And if so, what does that look like? Like, are you looking for a certain revenue marker? Is it a certain, are you looking to make sure you get the same salary or is it like, like when, or do you want to keep, do, do you plan to kind of keep going full on the way you are? Like, you know, what's your plan? How does that work? Yeah. I think it's something that I'm always evolving on. Because I think so many people are like, oh, take the leap all in, go in on that company, make it happen. There's a lot of pressure, I think, for entrepreneurs to be full-time. And oh, if you're not full-time, you must not be full 
fully involved and it must not be that big of a priority, right? Which I don't believe is true. I would actually always advise people, especially if they're starting new, like I would, if you can stay in your job, no matter what, because I actually think that there's so much more pressure if you don't have any other income streams coming in, um, to absolutely get something done. And until you have proof of concept, um, you know, and I know you asked me about certain markers. I just, I love, like, I love what I'm doing. So for me, it's hard to put certain markers on what I'm doing because I just, I really, I really, I like having a dynamic life and I love what I'm doing. So for me, it's less about the financial markers, but having the breathing room to have time to get to great product market fit was huge for me. I have had friends who quit their jobs to ideate about their business because I think a lot of people tell tell you that you have to be 100% full-time right off the bat. And frankly, all that pressure to pay their rent, pay their mortgage, you know, or if they have kids, do all these things didn't give them enough time to come up with an idea that really worked, but also um, find true product market fit, which sometimes can take a while. Um, I've read several books that getting to about a million dollars in revenue is kind of what people tend to say is a a great marker of product market fit, but having another job, um, really made me focus on leveraging my time as much as possible and really made me focus on solely filling up my bucket and my plate with things that absolutely need to get done. And it really made me focus on the product too. Like we have a small product line. We have a very core set of products. We may do other things in the future that are not just plant-based collagen boosts, but for now, I'm not trying to come out with 20 products because I have investors that are pressuring me to get into other categories. I fully control the pace at which my company grows, but I also keep things simple and simple can be very good because I think that a lot of companies too can overexpand too quickly and can overcomplicate things where they don't need to be. Yeah. How do you approach any kind of like fears or doubts or just thoughts maybe in your mind that might come through that are like, what if someone else tries to copy what I do or tries to do what I'm doing? Like, do you ever think about that? Because I think founders, especially before they even start a business, they think, oh my gosh, but what if someone steals my idea? You know, look at how many um, chocolate chip cookie companies there are out there. Chocolate chip cookies have been around for a long time. And every grandma makes them, but man, when I buy them, I buy them from that one brand that I know does a great job and they have a certain story behind it. Someone could come out and do a similar thing. I've actually had bigger companies. I'm not going to name them, um, but I've had bigger companies and actually other founders who have had investor money buy some of our products, right? And they've sent it to their heads of product development. I think it's a sign that Coquina is doing something amazing. Um, I think it's a sign that the category is growing. And also, frankly, it is a sign that that we're really onto something. And I think that it's important to, at the end of the day, build and uh, it build and tell your story. Because yes, someone can come up and do anything, right? Like look at our X bar. Someone could have created that formula right off the bat anytime. Someone could send my, my products to some lab and they could figure out the blends very quickly. Would they be sourced with as much love? Probably not. 
would they be doing the kinds of things that we're doing to support our community, to tell pop, to tell stories about shifting our perspective in beauty? Would they be doing things uh, with the same care that Copinico is doing? No. And Copinico is also always evolving. So I think that a lot of founders get too scared to even talk about their products before they get into the market and then get scared that someone's going to come around and do something. And, you know, we have trademarks, like we have a lot of things to protect us, but I also think that you can't obsess over some of those things and you have to keep doing, doing what you're doing. No. And I think going back to what you're saying, the market's pretty much big enough for a lot of cookie companies. So why not just go for it? Yes. Plenty of people out there and unique point of view um, and brand is important as well, which you guys obviously are doing. And I think too, it's so important. One of my favorite books for business strategy is actually Blue Ocean Strategy, because I think that for anything, like look at podcasts, for example, you could have said there are a million podcasts out there. Why am I launching one? But you bring a unique perspective to this and where other people see a crowded market, sharks see opportunity. There, there is always blue ocean. There's always room for uncrowded white space where something is drastically needed. I saw that when I launched my product into the supplements market, which is pretty, pretty crowded. I found my white space. I'll continue to find white space. And, uh, it's, it's something that I think is, is really important to think about because you should, you should always like, as I'm listening to myself talk, I don't want to advise anyone to be naive. Like you should definitely be thinking about how you are different and how you serve people because people do not need the product that you are putting out there. You have to solve problems for other people and that's how you have to approach it. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Business is about solving problems for sure. Well, I love what you're doing and I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Um, Last two questions. What final advice do you have for entrepreneurs tuning in and what is the grand vision for the future? What's next? The grand vision for the future is lots of fun expansion, which you and I were talking about that I can't. I know. And I'm yet. so bummed we're not exposing that right now, but it's okay. Um, gonna... Lots of new, lots of new products actually coming out for Coke Pinico. We're launching into exciting retailers. You know, in 2021, we launched into places like Erwan, Fast AF, Anthropology, Urban Outfitters, Foxtrot. We're in over 100 independent retailers in the US. But we're expanding in really, really exciting ways that I'm so pumped to share. Unfortunately, can't share yet for 2022. For entrepreneurs, I think the biggest piece of advice is to stay true to yourself and think about how you can bring joy to others, but also bring joy to yourself. Do something when it's right, but also ask yourself, ask yourself why instead of just following the crowd, be it in terms of coming out with new products or taking money or not taking money, which whichever it is. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Carolyn. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Lee. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.